While Lotteries has just announced a record giveaway to community groups, in other areas the picture for the not-for-profit sector is much more bleak. The recession is making funds harder to attract, while at the same time the demand for services is going up. Added to that, there's been recent negative publicity about the amount of money some charities spend on administration. And the line-by-line review of spending by the new national-led government is creating some uncertainty. Sue Ingram investigates. Rescue, rescue, surf comms, surf comms, P, how do you copy over? You're on your way back, getting off the pad now. The television programme Piha Rescue splashed surf life-saving across the screens of primetime audiences over the last seven years. We need a boat on the other side of the blowhole. But no more. The recession means there's not enough money for Surf Lifesaving New Zealand to fund its production any longer. Across the board we're down between 15 and 20 percent. This is Chief Executive Jeff Barry. He says sponsorship at a local level has dried up and nationally the amount individuals are spending in the organisation's fundraising raffles is dropping off. People are still willing to buy one ticket but where they were previously buying three or four, trying to get the bonus prize or whatever, it happens to be like that. So it has affected consumption. So it's not the $50 checks coming through now, it's the $10 check for one ticket. In downtown Wellington, I've just come out of the rain to come to Anvil House, where there's what's called a community cluster. And among the offices that make up that community cluster is Age Concern Wellington. And there I'm going to interview Gerald Boot. We are finding it difficult to maintain the same level of funding that we received from trusts in previous years, and that is making things difficult for us at the moment. Age Concern Wellington receives up to 70% of its funding for support services to the elderly from the government, but the remainder, about $130,000, must be raised from the community, most commonly from trusts and foundations that distribute grants to a wide range of organisations. We know that we haven't been successful with some trusts, but we are waiting to hear the outcome from other trusts. In previous years, the ones that we've been unsuccessful with, we certainly would have received a grant from them. It's not okay to say she was asking for it. It's not okay to be cruel to your boy. Or scream abuse at your children just because you're unhappy. But it is okay to ask for help. Providing services to victims of family violence is Women's Refuge, which also receives government funding. But the 50 locally-based refuges top up that money with cash raised in the community. Janet Bagshaw is the National Campaigns and Funding Development Manager. The information that I've got from refuges all say that their responses from philanthropic trusts have been either to receive less money or no money. In some cases, they've been applying to the same funds for many years and it's been cut dramatically. She has also noticed a drop-off in the amount raised from donations. The people who donate the higher amounts of money are still doing that. It's the $5, $10, $15 that seem to be the ones that aren't coming in. Throwing a few bucks into a bucket is the public face of fundraising for charities. It's a common sight in our main cities and towns, with volunteers out on the street hoping you'll part with some small change. Today it's Daffodil Day. 
The amount raised by the Cancer Foundation from Daffodil Day will be known in a few months, and it'll be interesting to see how this high-profile heart tug charity fares, because there's been a mixed reaction to annual appeals. Some, like the Salvation Army, are continuing to collect record amounts. Others are seeing declines. This may suggest that as people feel the pinch, they're prioritizing which good cause to support. And there are ample good causes to choose from, ranging from the arts, sport, and social services to religion, education, and research. There's about a hundred thousand non-profits in New Zealand. Twenty-two thousand of them at the moment are registered with the Charities Commission. But by far the biggest sector is the voluntary non-profit organisations that don't employ anyone, and they're all out there fundraising for something. Heather Newell gives advice to those wanting to raise funds. It could be uniforms for the school soccer group. It could be perhaps for a health cause. It could be people who want some contribution towards a part-time salary, right through to the organisations that are raising hundreds of thousands every single year. While raising enough money has never been easy, the current recession has plunged not-for-profit organisations into difficult and uncertain times. Challenges at lots of levels. This is a tough economic climate. Derek Gill is a senior fellow at the Institute of Policy Studies at Victoria University in Wellington, and is on the board of a local non-profit organisation. A lot of their demand for their services is going up, at a time when the fiscal position is tightening, and so there's less money coming in. So they're between a rock and a hard place often. If the rock is less cash, the hard place is an increasing demand for services provided by community organisations. The New Zealand Council of Christian Social Services has recently produced a report that gives a snapshot of need in the social service sector and says the recession is making life more difficult for many people and placing an even greater strain on support agencies. Tina Reed, who's the executive director at the Federation of Voluntary Welfare Organisations, says as unemployment has grown, members have really begun to notice the impact. We're getting really clear reports from city missions, from food banks, from budget advice services, about 15 to 30 percent increase in demand compared to last year. And then, of course, that has a flow-on effect because organisations like counselling services and refuge, women's refuge and child protection and parent support all also start noticing the impacts. But the impact on charities is a mixed one, and lessons from past recessions suggest that how an organisation is affected may depend on its asset base and how it generates its income. Individual donations are one of the most important sources of fundraising. Donations of a different kind, people playing pokey machines, also provide considerable amount of cash for community groups. The gaming machine funding probably contributes about a third of the money that goes into the community and voluntary sector. Typically it's around $350 million a year. Keith Manch is the Deputy Secretary of Regulation and Compliance at the Department of Internal Affairs. There's a requirement that gambling trusts return a minimum of 37.12% of their turnover to the community in grants. And it's a figure that was arrived at because the whole purpose of pokey machines is to generate money for community activities. So if you're not delivering that, then you're not really there to provide money for the community. 
It's a controversial source of community funding, and some organisations refuse to take money that comes from gambling. But the amount spent on pokies has decreased by five percent in the twelve months to June, and Keith Manch says that will reduce the amount for community groups who do apply for gaming grants. We think that for the year in which there was the five percent reduction, there might be something around eighteen or nineteen, twenty million less distributed to communities. Another important source of income for not-for-profit groups is government grants. It's jackpotted when 250 grand of luxury travel, two million cash, plus the platinum card and the cars. The biggest chunk comes from the money people spend on lottery tickets. Twenty cents in every dollar is distributed by the lottery's grant board, which has just received a record allocation of 189 million dollars. Todd McLeay is the chief executive of New Zealand Lotteries. Both Big Wednesday. Which happened in June of this year, and last year in October,、uh, Powerball. Both of those games jackpotted all the way through to a must-be-won week. That they really captured the imagination of New Zealand. This is one example where there's more money available for community groups. However, the number of organisations chasing lottery grants has also gone up. Anne Carter from the Department of Internal Affairs that oversees the administration of community grant funding says they're seeing a steady increase. In the 2008-9 year, we received 5,382 applications, which is an increase from the previous year, and we're noticing a general trend upwards. There are a raft of other grants funded by the taxpayer. Perhaps the best known is the Community Organisation Grant Scheme, or COGS, which is accessed by small to medium-sized groups. Its pool was increased by two and a half million dollars last financial year, and this year will allocate fourteen million dollars. Another important source of funding for non-profit organisations is grants that come from trusts and foundations. Representatives have been meeting around the country recently at funders' forums organised by the umbrella organisation Philanthropy New Zealand. At the Wellington meeting, different experiences were shared. We grant about nine million dollars a year into our community in Southland, which is a hundred thousand people. This is John Prendergast, the chief executive of the Community Trust of Southland. The twelve community trusts around the country are related one way or another to the trustee savings banks network that existed twenty years ago. The trusts make up some of the biggest individual funders of philanthropy in the country. In growth years, the trusts use investment returns to allocate funds to their regional communities. But of course, 2008 was not a growth year. John Prendergast. We lost around about 13 or 14 million dollars on our investments for the year to the end of March this year. But in the last three months, we've got back about 11 million dollars of that. Despite those losses, John Prendergast says the trust decided to carry on making grants to the community. Long term, we remain committed to the view that investment markets will come back. It might take five or ten or fifteen years, but they will come back. And therefore, we've decided not to reduce our grants. We've actually increased our grants for this year by the rate of inflation over last year. The second reason we've done that is because now more than ever, there's a need for funders like ourselves to support our communities. In contrast, other trusts have reduced their level of funding, and two, Bay Trust in the Bay of Plenty and the ASB Community Trust, which serves Auckland and Northland, stopped their grants altogether. The ASB Community Trust is one of the largest in Australasia, and in the past has distributed on average forty-five million dollars a year.
However, its chief executive Jennifer Gill says the recession saw the value of its investments fall by 18 percent. Like the rest of the world, our endowment took a big hit in the last financial year, and it was a hit of such magnitude that it really forced the trustees to stop and rethink their position. We had a what we thought was a very robust. Reserving policy, one that had served us well for 20 years, but it was one that just couldn't cope with the the magnitude of the economic crisis. It meant that this particular group of, of of trustees who hold this asset in perpetuity had to make the hardest decision that any group of trustees at the ASB Community Trust had ever had to make, and they made the decision that in fact they had to stop granting for a period of six months. The ASB Community Trust has recently announced the resumption of funding, but at a lower level, distributing twenty-four million dollars. Community groups in Taranaki are also facing leaner times, with the TSB Community Trust reducing its grant budget this year to just over six million dollars. That compares to nine million dollars in two thousand and seven. Colleen Tuta is its chairperson. Now that、um, the sun ain't shining quite so much at the moment, we're just having to pull back as well. The trusts are required to preserve their capital and to make grants for the benefit of both current and future generations. So, with that kind of tension, why did the Community Trust of Southland feel it could increase its funding allocation? John Prendergast. We thought, well, what are our objectives as a trust? And we've got two objectives. One is to maintain our capital over the long term, and the second objective is to provide grants in support of our community. And there's no one that says that either one of those two objectives supersedes the other, and so we think it's particularly important at the moment to try and balance those two objectives. And yes, we could stop granting right away, completely, and start rebuilding our capital, but that doesn't serve our second objective particularly well of serving our community. And we think now more than ever there is a need for funders like us to be there to support communities. He believes funding can't be turned off without damage being done to local communities. That's one of the reasons the government launched the Community Response Fund earlier this year. One hundred and four million dollars is being made available over a two-year period for what's deemed critical social service organisations facing hardship because of the recession. The Minister of Social Development and Employment, Paula Bennett. Well, we just saw that for many organisations, demand was increasing. So, for budgeting service, for example, for、um, anyone that's dealing in the sort of violence or anti-violence prevention,、um, dealing with families in crisis, at times like this, we felt the need was was certainly there and was increasing for them. So, we're hearing demand, and then also we were hearing that the funding was dropping as far as coming from other sources. So, it's that non-government sources that they got funding from. We heard that was actually limited. In their applications for the Community Response Fund, organisations have to show evidence that they're facing a significant increase in demand or severe financial difficulty because of the recession. They also need plans to show that quote, every dollar of public money is well spent, and information that they have consulted with other community organisations. Janet Bagshaw from Women's Refuge says filling in such a funding application is long and complicated. And many locally based refuges are finding it beyond them. You need to prove that there's nobody else in the community that is able to provide those services and has the funding to do so. You have to prove that it's because of the recession that 
you are not getting the funding that you need. So sometimes it's really hard to prove that, especially when, with the recession, demands on refuges are increasing. Minister Paula Bennett says in the first round of the fund that has just closed, there were 293 organisations that have felt able to meet the required criteria. But we're always wanting to help those organisations that need it most. Probably, you know, when we sort of say that they've collaborated, we expect them to pick up the phone and ring around and say, well, do you have spaces in your budgeting organisation because we're overrun? Because we hear all the time that these organisations that are so busy and yet the one down the road you know, hasn't got the same capacity or isn't as full. And so we just want them to start talking to each other more. And yes, this is a mean to help them get there. Collaboration is the buzzword in the not-for-profit sector. Suzanne Snively, a partner in the economic advisory section of Price Waterhouse Coopers, says it's an area that needs attention. Perhaps 97,000 not-for-profits is a bit too many. I think we need better models about how to have local responsiveness, while at the same time perhaps consolidating some of the services, the administration, the accounting and so on, and centralising that uh, so that we can have free up resources for the, for the engagement with the communities. Many of the groups I spoke to believe that collaboration is something for them to initiate, not something to be imposed. Dave Henderson is the coordinator of ANGOA, the National Association of Non-Governmental Organisations. The difficulty when MPs start talking about it often is that departments then try and response to force it. And then it requires funding and it is shaky. If it happens naturally, it's much more deeply entwined with the understandings of the people involved in the organisations. Heather Newell from 4C Communications says she doubts if there is much duplication of services. Every cause is slightly different and everyone out there has set up their charitable trust or their organisation based on the fact that they're supplying something different to someone else who's in a very similar sector. And much as I can see the funders' concern around trying not to duplicate, the truth of the matter is it is just too idealistic to expect these groups to amalgamate. However, the Social Welfare Minister, Paula Bennett, is clear she'd like to see more collaboration. In some respects, I'm waving my little stick and saying, yes, I'd like it done, but I'm by no means saying how, where, when and who. The relationship between the not-for-profit sector and government has often been a tense one, not least because community organisations that provide social services feel that they're undervalued and the government gets their services on the cheap. A scheme to try to address this, called Pathways to Partnership, was developed under the Labour-led government. By allocating $450 million over a four-year period, it was intended that critical services provided by non-profit groups were 100% funded. The national-led government has halted that and diverted the money into the Community Response Fund. Dave Henderson. The previous government was addressing that through the Pathways to Partnership programme and there was funding allocation. The recession has meant that the current government has gone back on that plan, wiped it. It's just fortunate that we were able to persuade government to keep some of that funding for a recession response. It's just stalled while we put the money in where it's most needed now. Minister Paula Bennett. The funding is all staying, um, so it's all completely there and it's locked in. Um, How we administer that after the Community Response Fund is something for us to continue discussing and working out a plan together.
The minister is keen to see innovation happening in the sector and to find a new model to effectively distribute government funding. There does not seem to be a major philosophical change. There are essential services that if they weren't providing it, then government would have to. And as a consequence, I think that yes, government should be stepping up and supporting that to the hilt. But the change of government has led to some uncertainty. Derek Gill from Victoria University argues that the new government presents both a threat and an opportunity. The sector has to really buckle down and work through, respond to the questions that the government's posing to them about value for money, effectiveness of services, quality of services. Those are all perfectly legitimate questions for a funder, pu- public or private, to ask of them. The uncertainty regarding central government is coupled with separate uncertainty about what's happening at the local government level. There are fears that a review of what councils do by the local government minister and act leader Rodney Hyde might threaten their community funding role. Robin Scott, the executive director of Philanthropy New Zealand, says it's not just the Auckland super city proposal that's causing concern. I think councils, are, that the people that are involved in making grants are very conscious that there is increased scrutiny on their grant-making processes and increased scrutiny on the return on investments or what's coming back by way of social capital with that grant. But I think there's a real concern about um, how much is going to be available, what the priorities are going to be and what changes at a political level are going to mean for their roles. Faced with this difficult and complex situation, how is the not-for-profit sector reacting? Derek Gill from Victoria University says the board of the non-profit group he sits on is scrutinising everything they do to try to save money. He says they're also seeking new sources of funding. We've gone into indirect funding. This is cold calling out of a call centre. and The third week was break-even. So this is a whole new activity for us, which... I think it's an entirely healthy development. But could have been seen as relatively risky given that people might not be feeling as generous as they have been in the past when times were better. We had a great debate as a board. Was it whether this was the right time, what the break-even was, we had a long discussion about if it didn't yield, how quickly would we exit from it. We agonised about pouring scarce resources into something that we'd never done before. It's a similar story with other organisations which are having to watch costs and seek money from other sources, whether that's from extra mail-outs asking for donations or approaching different funders. Groups are also having to react to a significant increase in volunteers, including people with specialist skills they don't normally see. Volunteer Wellington, for instance, saw a 30% increase in the year to March and says there are signs that as job losses grow, the numbers of volunteers will climb even higher. The Citizens Advice Bureau in Wellington is tucked behind a cafe in the Central Library. Its service manager, Claire Teal, says there has been a steady increase in people offering to help. She says that's great, but it has presented challenges. The biggest issue is thinking of new roles to give people. Can we recruit volunteers to be specifically publicity people, to be specifically admin people? Are there things that I'm doing that I just need to let go of that a volunteer might be able to do ten times better than I am? So it's just rethinking how we operate.
Training those extra volunteers, however, is going to be a challenge because of the proposed government funding cuts to adult education courses. We have had our training courses funded through the adult community education that the local high schools have, and obviously with the、um, funding cuts, the proposed funding cuts, we're potentially going to lose that funding. And so, finding the money to run the training courses for our new volunteers is going to be a bit of a, a dilemma in the future. Claire Teal says the CAB will be forced to seek funding for training from contestable grants such as community trusts and lotteries. The experience of receiving more applications for the pot of available money is a dilemma funders are having to come to terms with at a time when many were already thinking about changing what, who, and how they fund. Colleen Tuta from the TSB Community Trust says it's now much less likely that capital projects will receive money. You don't miss what you don't have. So in terms of creating another, you know, sophisticated, cool community facility at this time, let's focus on looking after our people. This isn't just a short-term reaction to the recession, but appears to be a much bigger rethink of priorities. The question that we had to ask ourselves though was how much difference had we actually made in actually uplifting the quality of education for our children? Because for the amount of money that we've actually put into our region, actually all of our kids should be walking around with PhDs. Jennifer Gill from the ASB Community Trust in Auckland says they're beginning to look at targeting their grants on fewer organisations and are also moving to what's called evidence-informed grant making. So, particularly in something like the social services sector, if you're aiming to address issues around, say, youth at risk, actually looking at the literature, both nationally and internationally, and saying, what have we actually learnt about what works? And increasingly, we're going to be directing our funding towards organisations that can actually demonstrate. They're effective. Now that may well mean that on top of our normal grants, we have to fund an evaluation component. Lotteries has already adopted what's called an outcomes framework, which means giving funds on the basis certain results will be achieved. But for not-for-profit organisations, getting to grips with these new demands may be difficult. Fundraising expert Heather Newell. For the smaller organisations, I think that the amount of investment that might be required in asking them to be accountable vastly exceeds the amount of money that they want or need. Derek Gill from Victoria University believes it's hard for small organisations to demonstrate effectiveness. Most government organisations, large ones, struggle to demonstrate their effectiveness. So to ask relatively small, specialised organisations who have one manager and one part-time office. Person to demonstrate that their services are effective in outcome terms, not effective in the sense of we delivered what we said we we're going to do to adequate standards, but actually our clients' lives are better as a result. That's a big ask. Even if organisations can meet the new criteria, it seems likely that post recession funders will change their ideas about how much they distribute. Jennifer Gill, who happens to be Derek Gill's sister, is sensitive to the argument that it's precisely in bad times that the need for funding is greatest. And the counter of that is when needs are not so high, spending should be lower. And I think that's the lesson for us and possibly for other trusts, as we supported a very large number of projects in the years when our returns were very good. When we look back on those times now. We could have made a different decision, which was to put more away for the rainy day. So countercyclical has its downside. 
With these challenging circumstances, will some of the 97,000 not-for-profit organisations fail? And if so, does it matter? Derek Gill says recessions can improve productivity. Economists call it creative destruction. It's where the poorer performers are shaken out. Now, inevitably, there are collateral damage. I mean, inevitably, in private sector, you have good firms who are in the wrong place at the wrong time, who get taken down along with the bad. It occurs to me that the same phenomenon is most probably underway in New Zealand at the moment. And the trick is, are we focusing on weeding out the weaker? Programs, activities, and in some cases, that will mean organisations. And are we minimising the collateral damage? For the moment, the short-term needs and viability of non-profit organisations are dominating the sector, but there is also a wary eye on the future over which uncertainty looms. Jennifer Gill. The bigger question is, what's normal going to look like? Because all of the indications are, I think, that normal won't look like 2007. There's a new normal coming, I think. That was Jennifer Gill ending that program, which was written and presented by Sue Ingram.